This week we continue our sermon series about simplifying your life. We call it simple. And last week we talked about time and how to make the most of the time while we're here on earth. And this week we're going to look at stuff and how does stuff affect our life and really keep us from the relationships that are most important to us. This sermon was originally recorded at Castle Rock Middle School, January 10th, 2016. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. You should have seen the eyes, sad eyes, as the kids saw animals stuffed into a box. They felt kind of bad about that. The stuffed animals, for those listening online, not live animals stuffed in a box. They, we're talking about simple, and we're moving on. We were um, moving from time until we move to uh, stuff, and eventually we're going to talk about uh, money next week, which I think will be helpful, and we finish up with, it's escaping me, oh, just relationships and time with God. So we started with time, and time is a weird thing because time is just a vehicle, right? You're not, our whole goal in life is not to try and add up time so that we have this storage unit of time. At the end of the day, we're not trying to just have this blank hour just so we can have that hour. That time itself is not valuable. Time's valuable because of the stuff you can do with time. And that's what we talked about last week. You can decide, and, and most of that's probably universal, I would think, in the room. We'd say a relationship with God is important to us. A relationship with family is important to us. Uh, meaningful work or a hobby or even investing in yourself. I guess that's fairly universal across the room. That's a guess. And so why it matters if how you spend your time, that's what we talked about last week, with all the time sinks that come, is because that just burns time so you can't spend time doing the important things, your Google searches or five hours, they say, the average person on TV a, uh, a day, not a week, and then hours on the internet. It's just kind of a time sink that pulls you from doing things that are important. Uh, the same thing is true about money, of course. Money itself is not valuable. It's not like you just stare at cash and, and feel this glow. And you, you, the, What money means to you, and that's what we're going to talk about next week, is what you can do with money. That's why money matters. And it's similar when you talk about your stuff. Stuff's just a vehicle um, for finding some joy, but is it possible that some of this stuff gets in the way? So the place we're going to start is, where as we look at all these distractions that can come, are the... the um, stuff that comes into your life. Now, this sermon may not hit home for you because maybe you're part of those Americans that you have everything in order and you don't have any extra junk laying around. So if that's the case, you don't even have to pay attention. I give you a free pass. You can go sleep. Um, you don't have to pay attention. It, like, if you don't have, like, a pile of papers in any desk drawer, that's fine. You know, if you don't have 42 promotional pens around your house, you don't have to worry about it. You can just forget it. If you don't have extra pairs of shoes you haven't worn in a year, don't sweat it. You know, you, you just pat yourself on the back. You can feel righteous today. If not, if you're like an average American, as we're going to talk about, this might be beneficial to, you know, stay awake. That's where we're coming from. So, the, the passage that what I wanted to look at, and, and this is what we talked about, as our life got more complex, we get tired, and so we get to a point where we just want to be entertained rather than try and make the wise choices. The passage I wanted to look at was the one we had at the end. This is the weirdest parable. Does anyone else think this is the weirdest parable in, like, the whole Bible? Most of them make a ton of sense. You know, it's like, uh, seek first his kingdom. You're like, got it. That makes sense. You know, like the pearl of great value and you, you like he would sell all his possessions because it's nice and you're like yes my relationship with god is more valuable than anything and then you get this one where this guy's going to get canned because he's shady and instead of getting canned he says this is what i'm going to do i'm going to start uh cutting debts for the people who owe my master money and that seems really strange but just imagine if you were like at a bank and you tried this out like someone <laughs> 
you just start calling people. They're like, how much do you owe on your home loan? And let's just make, you know, 200000 Let's make it 150000 I mean, that's kind of in the gray area of stealing. By gray area, I mean that is stealing, right? I mean, so, so he steals. He cuts the one debt to uh, 50%, one debt 20%. And the master, what would you expect? It's America, right? If that happened, you would assume in America, we'd assume there's a lawsuit forthcoming, right? That is like, that's the next step, naturally. But you read it in the Bible, and it says the master commends him for being shrewd. I think he still got canned, but he still commends him for being shrewd. Maybe he did sue him, but he, he still commends him for being shrewd, which is really strange. There's a few times in the Bible, actually a lot of times, where the thing that you expect to happen doesn't. And in fact, it's the opposite. And I think as we kind of move forward today, that's probably most true with our life. You know, we bring our sinfulness, we, we're honest with God, and we, we, we don't bring much to the table. Like our dishonesty and our sin, and you kind of expect naturally that there's punishment to come. And instead, God says, you know what? I'm going to give my most precious son. I want you to be part of my family in spite of who you are. And I think that's pretty awesome. So that flip kind of happens. Now, what does that mean? That means, to be frank, I don't get this parable at all. So if you understand it, you can write me a note and explain it, because I don't get it. But at the end, this makes sense. This makes sense to me. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted by one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, the last word there, money, is a translation. This is a tricky word, the tricky word. And does anyone know what word that would be in the original? I, I think you might. If you used to have the King James, you cannot serve both God and mammon. Remember that word? Has anyone heard of that word? So mammon is the original King James. You know what they did there? They just got lazy. So this is a project. The King James, they, they started translating uh, 1604, and it goes to a seven-year project. It goes to 1611. And they get to that word, and they're like, I don't know what to do with it. I, what, do you, what should we do with that? You know, what, you know how you pronounce it in the Greek? Mammon. So they just take the Greek word, they just put it into the English to try and say, like, hey, we don't quite know what this means. So it's been translated all kinds of different ways. One is, like, riches. One is money. That's how we hear it most often. But I heard very vividly, this was when I was at the seminary, not vivid enough that I remember who said it, but vivid enough that I remember this passage being discussed, and they said mammon, another way, another word for mammon is stuff. And then that hit home to me to say, like, you cannot serve both God and your stuff. And the way I understood that, and the way that we generally understand that, is we start talking about materialism. You know, like you, you go on this rant about keeping up with the Joneses, that's, that's Q pastor time. That's what I'm supposed to do now. In our, the, the society where we overextend ourselves, or Dave Ramsey, he says, um, we spend money we don't have to buy things we don't need to impress people we don't know. Right? I mean, how often, and we could talk about this like every week, I think. But that's not what we're going to talk about. I'm not talking about overextending or trying to get a car you can't afford or a house. That's, that's not what we're talking about. What I think, and I don't even know how to explain it, in America... There's this weird phenomenon that I think can be demonstrated in pictures. There's a guy named Peter Menzel who traveled around the country. He had to mortgage his house, which is ironic, but he had to mortgage his house, get all these loans to do this photo. And what he did in these things, he would go to all these different countries, find the average person and the family, and they'd go outside their house, and he would take their pictures. So here, hopefully you can see, this is in Japan, and the family is down here. My laser pointer doesn't work, so I just do this. So that's one. Uh, that's in Japan. I know they're a little tricky, the photos. You can see this is kind of like on an adobe hut. 
Uh, this is the average American family, apparently in like 1975. Uh, here's another family. And are you noticing anything that's weird on these photos? Here I'll end. I think there's one that... Is there anything odd about the photos that seem, strike you? The book is called Material World, and then it's got a subtitle I can't remember. But these are pictures, and I'll just go back through these pictures quickly. There's six, and I know they're dark. Sorry about that. These are the average family in those particular countries with all their stuff. So this is Japan. This is the family with all their stuff. Here's a family that's all their stuff. That's it. That's like 100 items. Here's the average American family. <laughs> that family's awesome. They, to fit the American family on there, and you can see they had to go on a cherry picker, and then there's still, they had a whole list of items they couldn't fit, like refrigerator and things like that, but they couldn't get it all in the photo. Here's another family, and you see some of these stark contrasts as we get down to like 100 items, or what's there? How many items are there, like 200? 300,000 is the average number of items that an American has in their home. So you saw some of those photos. How many photos did that entire family have? They had like maybe 100 items. The average, and I don't know if they're really into Legos, every average American family, but 300,000 items is the average American. A family of four, when they go to move, has over 10,000 pounds of stuff. So like a car weighs like 3,000 pounds. So you have like three cars worth of stuff, and some of you have moved. One out of 11 people utilize storage units, and storage units are a $154 billion industry, which is bigger than Hollywood right now. So I'm not jumping on you if... But there is something to be say, like if you can't even use it and you put it in a unit, what's the, where's the joy in that? The joy is just having it. And now there's guilty people like... Oh. 23% is a figure that I have to remember what it is. Uh, 23%, hold on one second, incur late fees because they can't find their bills. 80% of the stuff that you own you rarely use. 20%, gosh, I was better at this this morning. 20%, okay, so 20% of your clothes you wear 80% of the time. That's about right. I mean, you look at me and I, I, and, uh, <laughs> I wear the same outfit every week, so it's not a real surprise. So 20% of your clothes you wear, and, and then the final stat, which actually hit home, is that 25% of Americans have a two, that have a two-car garage cannot fit a vehicle in it because they have too much stuff in it. That is actually me, and I'll explain why. So when you come over and judge me, I'll explain why. So they did this study, and this was really one of the more fascinating uh, things to do. They did a study, and this is through the University of uh, Los Angeles in, uh, well, UCLA, uh, University of California, Los Angeles. So they went for four years and they intensively studied 32 families and they started looking at all their stuff. So the first home they came across, it had, the, the, they were kind of amazed by this. The refrigerator had 65 items on it. And then they had a picture of a doll, which I, it was too dark to show, but they have a, various shelves for this little girl and there was over 200 dolls on this shelf. This is like just people that said, yeah, come on over, take pictures of her stuff. And then they, um, the first home had over 2,200 visible items in the first three rooms. So now you look across these pictures around the world, and then you see our stuff, 2,200 items. Now, I'm not saying you have 2,200 visible items. But this is their conclusion. That's to say first on that first line. If the everyday life in the first few years of the 21st century 
has been characterized by anything. It's that American family's willingness to work hard and shop hard, purchasing one marketed well, one well-marketed new product after another and taking on debt and vigorous show of consumerism. What, what's the problem? What's the problem here? Um, the problem is, and I don't want to get kind of gross, but um, if you eat food, your house is designed for the full food process, correct? Like you can make it in your kitchen. You can enjoy food and uh, use energy in your living room because that's what you do. You live in your living room. And then there's a place to dispose of the stuff you don't use, right? We, we have an unbelievable amount of uh, access to things to go into our life, but we don't really have very many mechanisms to get rid of it. So the house has the full cycle with food. We don't necessarily have the same cycles with stuff. Let, let me give you an example. Here's an example from the internet. Don't drink in prime. Now, I'm the first guy to say how awesome Prime is, but there is something to having the access to get th- anything you want whenever you want it. You don't even have to get out of your chair. You just go plunk away and it shows up. You can go to any shopping mall and get anything you want. And if you grew up experiencing grocery stores, how have grocery stores changed in the last you know, 20, 40, 50 years? The average grocery store now has 44,000 items in it, and it's 46,000 square feet. And they used to be roughly 1,000 feet. So it would hold like these kind of dry staples and you'd go get dry staples, whatever that would be. You know, like uh, canned goods or some grain or something. Like, but now, like you can get anything you want. And how often do you go to, as I do, you go to the land of impulse, which is Costco, and you're like, yeah, I could use a, yeah, I could use a scooter. And so like suddenly you just, you just put it in your cart and you make your way home and you have all this stuff. Do you have a mechanism to get rid of that stuff? My guess is no. You don't get to 300,000 items if you have this regular process to get rid of this stuff. Now, does it matter? Does it matter that we have all this stuff in our house? You're like, this, where are you going with this? Because I don't think we worship our stuff. You know, it's not like our extra pair of shoes we're bowing down and saying, you know, I can't I either buy God or my extra pair of shoes. That's not what I'm saying. I don't think you do that. I don't think you're hugging like your extra shirts and you're saying like these are so precious to me. Um, if God said, okay, me or the shirts, you'd be like, it's Carhartt, you know, it lasts forever. Um, you know, like that, that's not what's going through your brain. But does this affect you so it affects the things that are most important? According to the studies, it does. Here are some of the phrases that ladies use. They ask the moms to describe their home. They described chaotic a mess, not fun. Have you ever thought that in your head as you looked at your own home? Now you tell me, can you have a, a good relationship with someone if you're living in an environment where you feel things are chaotic, a mess, and not fun? Why do you think we go places for dates, right? <laughs> it's, like, like, it's not like, honey, let's have a romantic dinner in the garage. You know, like that's not going to work because I mean, you get the shakes. And they said further with this study, um, what has happened is our excess has become a visible sign of unaccomplished work that constantly challenges our deep ingrained notion of a tidy home and elicits substantial stress. We're not talking about like average homes here. I think we're talking about our homes. That the amount of stuff we have uh, turns into um, the stress that happens in our life. And you tell me, do you think that affects your relationships? Where does your stress come from? I'm guessing it comes from three spots. Number one is your overbooked schedule. 
Like you got so many things going on that leads to stress and you're trying to be more than one place at once. This leads to stress. That's number one. That's probably number two. Number one would be money. If we'd universally go across and have like a survey, um, it would be money. We're going to talk about that next week. So that would be a primary source. If you're in a relationship, I would say that's probably number one. Number two is your time with each other. And is it possible the third one is just stuff? Now, it might not be with your spouse. But with your kids, have you ever been frustrated by the amount of toys they have? Let me, I'll just throw a stat out. Um, we have 3.1% of the kids in the world. We buy 40% of the toys. Grandparents push into your home $500 worth of stuff a year. And what do you do? Like, and if you have grandparents like, we should mute this. Uh, no, if you've got grandparents like mine, if you've got an aunt like my kids, they buy stuff and somehow they, I think they put tracking devices on to find out like, if we still have it. And I finally admit, my sister will call me. Just cut that out. My sister will call me and she's like, hey, do you still have that shirt? And I just say, no, I do not. And, and, but the kids are very sincere and they're much more loving than I am. And so if they get something from their aunt or they get something from their grandma, they never want to throw it away. They got something from my great-grandma and it still sits on the shelf. I've never seen them play with the doll ever. Well, early on. So what does this mean? My guess is, if your house is just like an average house, that other people's stuff starting to invade on your stuff is frustrating. It leads to tension between you and your kids, and I'm guessing it leads to tension between you and your spouse as stuff of other people spills over and you're picking it up and you get angrier and angrier and angrier. So what does this actually mean and where does this mean we actually go? The schedule can fix things. If you've got a schedule, you can fix things, and you can make things a little bit better. That's why we talked about Google. Is it possible to get rid of stuff so that your life feels better? Now, this has been a pursuit of mine for a while. And that's why I only have one suit. I used to have three, and I got rid of one. So I would go through the closet periodically, and I'd say, you know what, I've got to get rid of stuff, you know, because I feel this tension. So I'd go through, and I'd get rid of shoes, and I'd get rid of stuff. And then inevitably, I would spill into my vigor into some of the kids' stuff. And I've told you this story before. So I'll make it very quick. The, um, the girls had two cho- uh, stuffed bears. One was chocolate, one was precious. They didn't know this happened until I told it in a sermon, but I'll make it really quick. They had these two stuffed animals. They had so many stuffed animals. I'm like, which one of these can we get rid of? They don't, these don't even have outfits. I mean, they can't mean that much to them. So I get rid of them. I give them to Goodwill. Literally, like, the next day, they say, hey, have you seen precious and chocolate? I'm like, I didn't even know they had names. But I'm like, you have to be a little more descriptive what you're talking about, and they describe these bears. So I have to go to Goodwill to buy back the bears, which is if you, the only thing you don't want to buy at Goodwill is like sheets, undergarments, and stuffed animals. Those are the three. Anything else is fine. But So I'm like picking through. You can imagine I had the SARS mask on, trying to find these stuffed animals, like going through, and then I go through, and she's like, oh, great choice. I'm like, I used to own them. And then they thought that was hilarious, the people at the checkout. So, so have you ever done that? Like you get rid of someone's stuff, and you can get away with it for a while. Like, but suddenly they're like, hey, dad, have you seen? I'm like, not for a while, (laughs) right? You know, like, you know, so you started to do that and it leads to this tension then in the family. Now, if anything is missing, they assume their dad throws it away. So, so this started to go. So I got from, that's one extreme. So then you start buying storage unit things, right? You build shelves. Have you ever done that? You build shelves in your garage. You buy these units and you buy like a thing for, you buy something to put disposable bags in, which is just insane. But we, you know, we do these things. We get little things for Tupperware or whatever. And there's a relief for a while, right? But does it ever answer? 
Not really, because now you have to buy more stuff. Every room you look in, you think, well, if I had more stuff to organize my stuff, I'd be a lot more happy, or maybe I could get a storage unit and I could put it there, or I could just send it to my parents' house. That's like the easiest thing. You're like, any memento you don't want to keep track of, you send it to your parents. And I got even to the other end where there's a minimalist guy, I can't think of his name, who said he lived off 100 items for a year. I'm dorky enough that he started to write the list. Like, what items would I want? What 100 items? It's ridiculous. So then I thought, that's too much. Then you start reading lists about how many pairs of socks you should have, how many pairs of shoes you have. Have you ever read these lists? And then you're going through your own stuff and you feel guilty? Okay, I'm the only guy who said, this is really just a sermon for myself. <laughs> where does this shake down? I'll tell you my story. Got, about a month ago, I ran across a book by a lady named uh, Marie Kondo called The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying It Up. And uh, just for the record, she's crazy. I mean, like, you're, <laughs> so she, like, thanks her home when she walks in, and she holds items and sends them off and gives thank yous to her items. But the main gist of what she has is this. You have to go through your stuff and declutter before you try and tidy up. So most of us, if you try and tidy up, you get rid of a few things and you kind of clean things up. She said you cannot do that. You have to get rid of things, and this is how you decide if you want it or not. Are you ready? You hold it in your hands. Remember the last thing I said. And you say, does it spark joy? And I thought, this is the dumbest thing I've ever done in my whole life. So I'm, you can imagine, I'm a conservative theologian reading this Buddhist book, holding this item in my hand. I'm like, huh, this tie does spark joy. <laughs> so, so I hang it on my shelf. So I, you go through very specifically, um, you're supposed to go through your clothes. Uh, we'll go through the five items here. She's very particular about what even order you go through this stuff in. So you go through your clothes because that's the easiest. And, and I've been doing this for a while. Like I used to buy if it was on sale or cheap, you know how cheap I am. So if, um, I could get a nice pair of pants for if it was a little off on the size, I didn't care. Now I do not do that. Like I can't handle that. And that's before this book, I couldn't handle it. So I'd have, I got rid of all that stuff. And I still, I minimize my closet so we have a walk-in. I have about um, this much rack space and then, um, you know, like this much with a couple sweatshirts on it and two drawers. I put, I got rid of a trash bag this big of stuff. And, I, and then she teaches you how to fold, which don't even get, she's very particular about how you fold. So I folded the drawer even in color order. That's how particular, she, it has to rise for you. It has to rise up to the right when you hang your clothes. You, remember what I said before. And as dorky as it is, you know, I, I'm like, ah. I hang my stuff so it rises to the right, and I'm like, huh, I feel a little better. <laughs> so, my clothes going from dark to light, I, I feel a little better. So I, I try and pry this on my girls, right? So you can imagine, they're teenage girls who already think their dad's a dork. And I'm like, hey, uh, let's go through your closet. So I go through one of my daughter's closets, and I'm like, she holds it. I'm like, we've got to take it all out. Does that spark joy? She's like, are you kidding me? Like this. So they're giving me these wide eyes. My family's laughing, and they've been razzing me for like a month now. They'll just hold something at the store like, Dad, but it sparks joy. I'm like, come on. <laughs> but let me just tell you where I'm at. This has a point here. So go through my clothes. I've got a trash bag like this big, like one of those industrial weed, throw your grass in kind of eggs. Um, and this is after I've done that. Books. I'm a reader. Amy's a reader. She works at a library. We got rid of, in my garage right now, that's why it's full, is probably 300 books. My shelves were packed. My basement was packed. We have one shelf of books that we like. And I had to actually hold every silly book and say, is this a joy book that makes me happy? And some just brought guilt because I was supposed to read them. 
And then, so I just put them in a box, and I got rid of them. And now my shelf has 10 books on it. And then I get to my papers. Now, papers is a whole different story. This is very, uh, you have to get every paper in your whole house, and you put it in one spot, and you have to go through these papers. And you're like, well, I don't have that much paper. Try taking every paper in your house and putting it in one spot. And for a person who, I grew up with these real particular theologians that, at seminary, they would tell us about their elaborate filing systems, and like they would get a paper on marriage, and then they'd file it. And I, I had 11 boxes of file folders that are now in my garage. I scanned uh, 100 papers into Evernote. The rest I'm just getting rid of. And now I have two filing cabinets that, I mean, if one filing cabinet like this big and this big, why does this matter? Well, because I haven't got to stuff yet. My goal, and, and you're like, my goal of telling my autobiographical story and the weirdest sermon you've ever heard is this. Uh, by my birthday, which is the 26th, you are all invited to an open house on Friday the 26th. I turned 40, which is really exciting. I said, I'm going to go through all my junk and minimize and just get the things that make me happy. Now, here's the dorky thing. I sit in my office. I love my office chair. I really do. I've told you how much I love my skis. I love my bike. I love my desk. I love the stupid trinkets that I have kept. And you don't have to like them. You can look at my house and say, why in the world would you keep that? But it makes me happy. So now, instead of all this stuff that brought guilt and junk and it's gone, the biggest change is this. God says in his word, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. When I interacted with my family, I think some of the frustration they had is because my own life wasn't in order. And when I was angry or frustrated with my kids because they didn't pick up their stuff, it's because my own stuff wasn't where it should be. And when you get rid of a bunch of stuff, you learn to appreciate the few things that you have. So if these are things that make you happy, this shirt you think is silly, but I like it. It irons easily, and it looks good even if I don't wash it from week to week. And hypothetically. <laughs> I've got four ties now instead of like 20, and I had like, I only wore four ties. But I like this tie. I remember who gave it to me. It makes me happy. I like these shoes. I got two pairs of the same shoe, if you're wondering. It, I only have two suits because one of you bought me a suit. So... What does it mean when you start to appreciate your possessions? There's this idea that you used to think, like, if you get rid of your stuff, like, the goal as a Christian is not to have any stuff. That's baloney. I mean, Abraham was wealthy. King Solomon's the richest man that we think ever lived as a believer. King David was wealthy. And Gollum had one item, and he had problems, right? He has the ring. You know? so, so it's not about how much stuff you have. It's about sitting down and saying, okay, I appreciate this one item I have, and I like everything I have. Do you think that's going to spill over into your relationships with people? If you can appreciate the things that God has given you, do you think that helps you appreciate the people that God has given you in your life? I can say from experience, the patience that has come with other people's stuff is immense because my own life is starting to get in order, and some of that stress is gone. And let me ask you this. If you appreciate your stuff, and you appreciate people, do you think you can start to appreciate your God a little bit more? Who gives you these things? Who gives you this time? And you can sound like the psalmist who says, let me delight on the law of the Lord. Let me meditate on his scriptures. Because have you ever tried to do a creative project and you can't get anywhere with it? The rule of thumb is you're supposed to go clean your garage. And I know it sounds really dumb, but when I'm stuck... 
I used to go straighten out my garage, and you wouldn't believe the clarity that now has in your mind. Now imagine that you just get rid of all this clutter, and you can say, what really matters in my life? I can appreciate the few things that God has given me, what a blessing it is, but let's really appreciate the people we have, and let's appreciate a God who says, you know what, you know how precious you are to me? I'm going to take my most precious thing and give him on this earth so that you can have a relationship with me, so that you can focus and you can dwell on the forgiveness that you have in Christ. Delight in the things that matter, not the 300,000 things that you have in your house. Let's just figure it out. That's up to you. And the weirdest sermon you've ever heard. But hopefully, you can get a sense that there is a place that we can go where we can um, be in a place to appreciate the things that really matter, not just with our time, but even with our stuff. Amen. Heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are very thankful for the countless ways that you give us that we can get stuff. We have accessibility to things. Help us appreciate those things. They're not idols. We, we're not buying to, bowing down to our extra shoes. But instead, let's get rid of some of that clutter so that we can focus on the things that matter. Uh, we're not wasting time looking for things. We're not wasting time cleaning up things. Instead, we can uh, build and invest in relationships and ultimately uh, build and invest in the relationship that you have with us. We ask this in your name. Amen.